Jensen, welcome to the podcast. I've been asking a lot of my guests that come on, and I know it's a question you've probably been answering with your friends and family. Um, how have you been adjusting to this new shelter-in-place life, and how has it affected you, like personally? Well, I think I'm doing okay. I, I, I also, at any point, if I really thought about it, I would probably break down and like pull all my hair out. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I was let go from a job like two days into the pandemic. It was so early in the pandemic that it made mainstream news that we got let go. I was a morning show DJ here in Los Angeles on a, a famous, famous radio station called K-Rock. And uh, they let go of us because they were going in a different direction, which is like so stupid looking back because if they just waited a week, like no one, no one would have said anything. It would just been like, yeah, everybody's getting let go. Uh, but I was home front and center, you know, basically immediately as the pandemic hit a couple days after the NBA postponement. And, uh, it's been weird, man. I mean, I, I've continued to work on other stuff, so I'm not completely just staring at a wall, but not being able to leave and go get food or take care of my 10 month old outside of the house. Like we have a new kid and it's like everything just revolves around this small Mecca that we've created. Uh, it's a bit of a bubble for the boy, but but I mean, I guess we're having fun. What's the one thing that was part of your routine before that's not now that you miss the most, you think? I mean, we've been surprised, both my wife and I, that the mall is something we miss. Like we <laughs> we like shopping malls. We grew up in the same area. We went to high school together. So we've been going to the same mall since we were both, I don't know, preteen. And so uh, we live near it now. And it's it's kind of our safe place a little. We take the kid there because it's like bright and light and a lot of noise and things to look at. And we like food courts. And I think we just we always knew we liked malls, but we didn't know we'd actually miss it if it was taken away from us. So that, that's been weird. And I also love movie theaters because it's just like two hours for me to get away. And um, I've clearly been missing that. Were you like a big mall guy growing up? Because, you know, I, I love the food court at malls. I think that's a very underrated place to hang out. Yeah, I was a massive, ma I'm still a massive mall guy. I, I, growing up, used to buy stuff from Merry-Go-Round and Miller's Outpost and all the sports places. And I worked at a swap meet, which is like similar. It was like one of my first jobs. And they had like a, a Jordan's kind of like a Nike spot and they had a baseball card spot and they had a, an airbrushing booth, which like I got like a Wu-Tang license plate made there like a week after Protect Your Neck came out. Like I, I've just always liked kind of the, you know, group of shops and food i just I, I like the kind of space the venue like that and and malls uh people make fun of the physical space because everyone buys stuff online but i think when this is all said and done I, I you're gonna be shocked people people might have some nostalgia for malls what about if i were to ask you for top three top three food court spots for you well i think you're saying you're saying current not yes in the past. current okay yeah. I think it, it would be a miss to not acknowledge that every mall you go to has a line for Panda Express. I think it would be, uh, it would be, I guess, almost ignorant to not at least address that it is the most popular across the nation in, in 2020. So I would put, I would put Panda Express up top. Um, I would then go to Asparo, but I know that that doesn't fully exist in everyone. So I'm going to say your pizza spot because you all have one. Um, so I would even go towards, we have, what do we have? Oh, we have blaze. So I'll put blaze up as mine as my number two. Um, and then three outside of the food court. I, my wife would murder me if I didn't say CBK cause it is our favorite, but that's not a food court item. It is outside 
of the uh, of the space. So I will say food court. Uh, we have a sushi spot in ours that I don't think is national, um, which causes a bit of a problem. So I will say the. I mean, everyone has one of those teriyaki stick places. <laughs> yeah. And I think I don't know the name of ours, but I know everyone has one, and they're all different named. But I, I, the teriyaki stick place is always always a prime choice. Man, you got me thinking that the mall might be one of the first places I gotta go go. to. I'm trying Um, my hardest, man. We're bringing it back. We're gonna bring back malls. So obviously, have you on, and and we'll talk about the Coachella 2030 jerseys. But before we even get to it, and you know, this is not even me gassing you up, but like. I've always been a huge fan of your work and I feel like I've followed your career because you've had so many different ventures uh, in terms of podcasts and a lot of creative stuff that you do, the gallery and things like that. Um, Maybe we can start with the the podcast. Like you were a part of two of my all-time favorite podcasts, Hype Man and Get Up On This. Um, I love to hear about just how those two podcasts, like what they meant to you and, and your favorite memories from doing those two podcasts. Yeah, I mean, they were both extremely fun and both sort of in the early days of podcasting. Um, You know, with the Rosenthal's, I think we were both explaining to each other what a podcast was. You know, I don't think either of us really knew what it was or what it would become, but we just knew it was a place we could talk about hip hop. And we had already been talking on the phone about, you know, Fat Joe's new single or whatever. And it was it was an easy place to go and just sort of uh, rant and rave and not not even expect anyone to really be listening to it. I just grew up such a fan of radio and um, I knew I, I mean, at that point, even though I, I proved myself wrong, but I felt at that time there was no way I was going to just jump into a market. Like I had already had a career, so I could not just move to Palm Springs or, uh, you know, Tallahassee or something to, to start in a lower market as a morning show guy. So this was, this was just really scratching a radio show itch, even if no one listened. Um, and then once the hype men show, you know, it was kind of before the Skype and all these things and zoom and there was no way we were traveling between New York and LA as much. And it just kind of ran its course. Uh, and so that was when, uh, Kevin Smith had approached me, uh, to do his show. I was doing sort of the Kevin Smith, you know, he was also so ahead of his curve on podcasting and he had me come do like his morning show. And he was like, you're always on to things early and what, what should I be up on? And I think I told him at that time about like turntable FM dot FM or whatever. And and it it had launched that day and he was like, that sounds cool. And then the the next day it was like, everyone used it for like a week. Like no one used it past (laughs) that, but it was like hot for like a week. And Kevin emailed me and was like, how did you know that? And I'm like, I just always been good at sort of picking the things out of nowhere that are going to blow up. And he said, uh, that's awesome. I said, you know, that's kind of the podcast I wanted to do, which is just explain to people things that are about to blow up. And he was like, you could do it from my house. You could do it on my network. And he was just thrilled. And so I did that. I started to do it from his house. And, and, you know, the first episode ever that I ever did was the day Spotify launched. And we had on DA Wallach and Mike Shinoda to talk about what Spotify means and what it'll mean in the future of music. So it's like we had, you know, we hit the ground running and, and, you know, there's some famous examples of things that we talked about, whether it's Chance the Rapper while he was still in high school or Halo Top Ice Cream, you know, when they were just regionally in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, we were just, we had a lot of fun with it and, and obviously we would go wherever the bits took us. So it wasn't just like, here's a new rapper, here's a new app. Sometimes we were like, fully involving you know we're driving to vegas to see don rickles or whatever (laughs) like we never we never stuck to the format as much as we had to but it was it was really fun and we we did that for god i don't know six seven years um and that was when k-rock came calling 
Yeah, that that was awesome because I felt like, especially with you and Maddie, you guys had such different interests as well, right? Like there, there would mm-hmm. be similar things, but you know, he would introduce, uh, you know, things like board games and, and different kinds of things, and you were into wrestling. Yeah. Um, Ch- I know Chance the Rapper was like a really prime example because I remember listening to the podcast and getting put on a, a lot of these artists that that yeah. weren't as big at the time when when you look back now is there another example that you're really proud of or you find fascinating that you were maybe on it earlier than a lot of people i mean i always like the ones where they reach out i mean i think i think we've had a good example of people like asap rocky and people who we, we talked about before anyone but but the ones where they reach out to me are always the ones i like the most because you know then they're off to the races they're, they're never they're never heard from again. So it's like cool for me, like early Flatbush Zombies had reached out to me and thanked me. Jesse Reyes reached out and thanked me. Uh, obviously, Chance the Rapper had reached out and thanked me. Um, like those ones where they hear they're being mentioned on a podcast and still, you know, are sort of, you know, homegrown DIY to, to actually hear themselves mentioned for the first time on a podcast and think that's cool. Uh, that always felt really good. But yeah, Chance is always the one people talk about. But there's, um, you know, I think we were extremely early on Jack Harlow. Um, he came on the show uh, right before it had ended. He had really only just the one mixtape out, and I had become such a fan. And he's really vocal about, you know, that podcast appearance. Um, that, I think, you know, Little Dicky was very early. I think we were really, really early on Casey Veggies. He was still in high school. He um, He came to the show after going to the dentist to have his braces checked. Like... That that kind of stuff to me always makes me laugh. Just how ahead of the curve we were. And Meg Myers, who's one considered the most classic show by the the most you know most diehard fans. But Meg Myers is someone who was on when she was still a waitress here in L.A. and she had one of the biggest alt songs of the year. So, and you guys did a started spinning off and doing get up off this yes, as well, yeah. right? What's your favorite <laughs> get up off this uh, item uh, that you recommended? <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it was really that that spin off came because Maddie at his core is a hater. Like I'm, I at my core can find probably something good out of anything. Like I listen to little baby and I immediately am like, this is really cool. It's not made for the 40 year old, but I really, there's certain songs I resonate with and he's awesome. And, but Maddie like won't even give it a chance. He like doesn't hear anything that doesn't really fit his age group. And so we wanted to start doing something to kind of reflect that. And that's why we wanted to get people up off things. Um, get up off. What was the one I remember the most? I mean, I always laugh at like, personalized license plates always makes me laugh or like things that like you know maddie get up on ice is the uh, get up off ice is the famous one not like ice which would be very cool now but like he literally thought ice was bad for you like the water frozen water um and that one haunted him forever um you know those always make me laugh and then then there's ones that are just like items and stuff or I think we were, I was, uh, you know, people are always on me for get up off, off, uh, Hamilton, which I stand by. I don't think it's very good. Um, I think Lin-Manuel, I don't hate everything he does. I, I always used to quote this BET freestyle thing he did, which I thought was really good, the cipher, but, um, I just think Hamilton's corny and it's just like, it's like the coolest high school history teacher decided to rap. Um, and that's probably the one I stand by the most that gets the most hate. And were you always like a tastemaker, trendsetter, like ahead of the curve guy, like even when you were young, like growing up in terms of, you know, you would be the guy at school that would be telling people about an artist to check out? 
before they even yeah were. yeah that was my thing i mean that's why it's always hard for me to say trendsetter or like things like that because it's like sometimes they don't really take off take off but people in hip-hop like it like i remember as a kid really being into camp low before anyone had really heard anything or the fujis because i was into the first record i'd loved the nappy head single and um you know i think i was just willing to take chances to listen to things and then kind of get behind them even though they're not on radio at least at that point and so I, I you know I do still get a lot of people from high school or junior high that are like you're the person who got me into this or I only heard of this because of this you know and and I think as the years went on it's it's not that I like know what's going to be cool because I'm cool I don't think that's the case I think I am just really sensitive towards what can be next I think I just understand what kind of what people are listening for or I love following trends I love kind of you know, being the narc in your high school and just <laughs> slowly in the background listening. Uh, you know, I just, am, I, I guess I just like having my ear to the streets and that's really a hip hop trait. You know, that's just sort of wanting to know what's next and having a journalistic mind. And that's what I went to school for. So I just sort of still kind of report on stuff coming out and, and I've had a good track record, but there's always once in a while things that, that I get super into that don't blow up as much as I want them to. But, you know, I think uh, my overall record's pretty good. Yeah, and you have a history yourself as a rapper. Uh, people should Google, or do you want them to Google Hot Carl? I mean, who? please don't Google that because you won't get the response <laughs> you want. Uh, see, that's another example of something. If I was a trendsetter, that would have blown up. But I do feel like now looking back on Hot Carl, it's aged uh, surprisingly well, which is shocking considering how poor it aged off the bat. But it's like with things like Little Little Dicky and g Easy and all these kids that are just, you know, basically suburban hip-hop guys. Um, it doesn't sound as shocking to people to hear my voice or the things I'm talking about. But yeah, when I was in college, I was around 20 years old. I entered a radio contest here in LA and it was like a daily battle. And I, I ended up being on for like over 40 days and that turned into uh, surprisingly a record deal. I, I didn't see that coming at all. I was still a student at USC and Jimmy Iovine signed me for a million dollars and I ended up recording an album with Kanye and the Black Eyed Peas and Maya and Just Blaze and Fabulous and I mean, it was just like a never ending lineup of people just taking money from this project and Jimmy Iovine and it didn't work out. It, I, I don't think it was really for me deep down in the end. And, and but it was a really crazy experience. And uh, I, I just sort of, quote unquote, retired. It didn't go through and just I didn't I didn't stick around like a lot of your favorite rappers. I was just like, oh, nope, OK, moving on and just uh, went on to other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's part of my origin story for sure. What was it that you didn't like or what was it that kind of pushed you to that point of saying, you know, this isn't for me? Um, I think I think it was just wasn't my time. I think I think that I had watched Bubba Sparks, who was on my label and was a friend at the time. And I thought he had made a great album and especially that second one. And I just was like, if he can't blow up and, and M is really ruling the world as far as it goes, I, I couldn't stop getting compared to Eminem, although we, I guess we both have nasally voices looking back. But I mean, our, our upbringings were so rapid, like we were, we were just so different and I just didn't understand. And at a certain point I just went, Oh, I don't, I don't really care that much, which, which you shouldn't have if you're trying to get a music career. I mean, I like the stories of like John legend who was, or like big Sean guys who were like outside of spaces, handing out their CD, trying to get noticed. I, I was almost the exact opposite. Um, so I just didn't have the drive. And I think the guys from my class who have went on to become, you know, billionaires that the Kanye's, the will I am's, those guys would have never stopped being told to make music. And I just didn't have that. Did you make any friends during that period, like in the industry that are still people that you're close to oh, today? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very a ton. I mean, Maddie's from that. So, uh, you know, my, my podcast I did for all those years was with a guy I had met 
he was in a rap group called the Trilams at the time. And uh, a guy named Evan Bogart, who was a manager uh, back then, uh, who was really one of the first people to discover me at a live show. Um, he went on to write Halo for Beyonce and he, he's written for Lizzo and he's one of the guys who found Ricky Reed and put him sort of into the production space that he's in now. And he and I still talk at least once a week. We're working on something together, uh, right now, a, a TV idea. And, um, yeah, rap wise, uh, MC search. I still talk to probably once a month. Um, you know, uh, I don't have any real enemies per se. I met with Jimmy Ivy, you know, probably about a year ago just to go over stuff after the book had come out. And that was very nice. And my, my A&R DJ and I still talk online every once in a while. So I, I think I don't really have any, you know, burn bridges per se. Uh, but friends wise, I, I, Maddie obviously, and, and Evan Bogart and, um, there, there's still people who, who, who show up and, and check in. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who want to hear more, about Jensen's story, uh, not just in hip hop, but just you know other parts of his creative ventures. Uh, definitely, highly recommend you check out his book. Kanye West owes me three hundred dollars. Um, do Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about the backstory about the title? Yeah, I mean it's a clickbait title. I mean the, the whole <laughs> the whole book is is about stories about me rapping and, and going to Interscope and stuff. And and one of the stories is a whole chapter is about Kanye. And I was very very early with Kanye. Um, I, I, you know, he was still kind of living with his mom and traveling in between baseline and his mom's place. And, uh, I loved the guy. I thought he was hilarious and I thought he was the best. I, we used to get these beat CDs all the time and he was by far the best beat CD that I had ever gotten. H to the Izzo was on it and a bunch of really good beats. And, and I just was obsessed with him and I met with him and was even more weirded out by him. And we just became friends, you know, kept in touch and he would come to L.A. He'd hang out with me. We'd go to a club or something and go eat and go see a movie, which is always something everyone talks about that I saw Master and Commander with him and he loved it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's just such a weird guy. He's, he's nowhere near what now what I knew him as. So it's it's a completely different person. But I, I do sort of paint a very vivid picture of what it was like to meet Kanye West well before fame. Yeah, I've always wanted to ask you, too, because there was a period of time where you worked in the WWE as a writer. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. After, after Hot Carl. Yeah. Um, t tell me about that because you know, one of the hobbies that I've picked up during the shelter in place, um, especially, you know, because I was a huge wrestling fan growing up is I got a subscription to the WWE network and I've been going back to just old pay-per-views and just reliving the attitude era. What was that period like for you? Well, I love the attitude era. I, I you know, I, I worked there in 2005, so I was well beyond that, but you know, that was what influenced me to, to apply for the job. It's like it was after Hawk Carl and I had a hist you know, I had obviously a history in writing and I was still doing comedy and I was still trying to, to get into things. And someone had offered this gig and, and said, you know, you should apply for it. And I was like, okay. And I, I hadn't watched wrestling in a while, but I knew enough, especially with the library of sort of attitude error stuff that I knew. And so I, I wrote two specs and next thing you know, I'm flying out to Stanford to meet with Stephanie McMahon and, she hired me soon thereafter and I started working there and I spent about six months there and I left on my own, which is rare because most people get fired. But I left on my own after six months. It just wasn't for me, mostly the traveling and it just wasn't, it's not the kind of atmosphere I wanted to write in. Uh, but it was my first real look into a writer's room and uh, I, I, I do love, I don't really watch anymore. I, I read all the results, which is still fun. And um, But, you know, it's one of the weird, I think it's going to be one of the weird victims of the quarantine i don't know if wrestling is going to make it out in the right way i am trying to figure out when we go back to live events because wwe is clearly a live event not a television show even though we all know the tv show 
It's just when there's no one in the audience, it feels like a completely different thing. Um, and that would bum me out if, if somehow this, this whole thing takes down wrestling, be real weird. Was there a, during that six month period, was there a specific wrestler or storyline that maybe you work closely with that you have good memories of? Well, I have great memories. Uh, I talked to two guys still from WWE, which is Cena. I still talk to John Cena and I still talk to CM Punk. Those are like my two, uh, I talked to Cena for holidays or whatever. And then every once in a while I'll check in with him. And then I talk to CM Punk every day almost. Um, and those two guys are just the best. And they're, that, they're the two best things. I've, I've worked with Cena again on the ESPYs. I wrote for him as a host. And I keep him close to the best. He's a good dude. Uh, but as far as like storylines I had worked on, I, I the one that people remember is that I was, I was heavily involved in the um, Vince McMahon versus Shawn Michaels and God storyline, which was like implemented that Shawn Michaels is this born again Christian and he used to be kind of this dirt bag and Vince McMahon thinks he's a hypocrite for that. And so they end up in a church and they end up, Vince ends up wrestling an invisible God. It was just like, we may have went too deep into the atheist uh, well there, uh, but it was very funny looking back. We had like the referee check the error for God, like for, you know, weapons in his boots. Um, that stuff is really funny. And then I worked on gold dust a lot and Snitsky and, um, Carlito and the spirit squad. Those were kind of my, I was really kind of in the B level of guys, but that Vince McMahon thing was my one a level. Oh man. So Goldust was still around as a character. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. He he's, he's quit and you know, he's been fired and quit and back and forth so many years, but my run there, he was there the whole time and I was really, really close with him. That's amazing. And you know, lastly, before we dive into the jerseys, uh, tell the people about gallery 1988. Uh, yeah, that was around the same time as my WWE stuff. It's like, it was, uh, a time where I just didn't know what I wanted to do exactly, but I knew that I had this money from a publishing deal and from Jimmy Iovine overpaying me. And I just didn't want to keep like buying comic books and DVDs. So I talked to a money manager and he's like, what if you have a business idea? Is there any business ideas? And I, I had a friend who worked at an art gallery and I had brought Kanye there and I had brought DJ AM there and all these things. And the people treated us like crap. And I was always so weirded out to be like, these people are millionaires, you idiot. Like these, these guys all have a bunch of money and they treat them terribly. And that's where the idea came from to open an art gallery that focuses on like, um, you know, first time buyers, first time uh, art gallery showing artists. Like we really wanted it to be a, uh, like a first step into an art collection and it's still around 16 years later. It's very pop culture focused. We've done deals where we, you know, have art shows just like every other gallery, but we've also teamed up with properties and TV shows and movies like Breaking Bad and Lost and uh, Force Awakens and Avengers. I mean, we've done the Oscars. I mean, we did a marketing campaign for the Oscars. So it's like it really morphed into a much bigger thing than we ever thought it would be. Yeah, I tried rewatching Lost the other day and it didn't it hasn't aged well. Uh yeah, I don't I don't it's funny. I don't really remember a ton, which is very odd. I love the first season. I remember it being pretty much the best pilot ever created and it still might be. Um, but I don't know if now that you know the ending, I don't know how much you, you stick around with it and think everything's cool. Yeah. You mentioned you had written at the SBs. Uh, was that like a one-time thing or have you worked on that several times? No, I've done it five years. I think I did, um, Drake. I did, uh, Cena. I did Danica Patrick. I did Joel McHale. And I think I'm missing someone, but I've done it a lot. I've done it a lot that I don't remember who the other host is. Cena? <laughs> did I say Cena? Cena, I think, is the fifth. Yeah, the, no, you said Cena is the first oh, one. All right, I'll never remember. <laughs> it, I know I did. I know I've did. I've done a bunch of them. 
what's that like i'm so curious because you know i work in sports media and it like mm -hmm. are there specific rules when you're working on like you know the the monologues and things like that like yo you can't have this joke about lebron james or is it just like anything goes and then they'll just cut the stuff uh well it's actually uh, one of the worst parts of quarantine has been mourning the loss of mora mant who uh you know did pop up on sports entertainment media for a while um when she passed but it, it i mean it it's soul crushing for me. She was the person who brought me in. Um, she to say she produced the ESPYs is like a crazy understatement. She like created the ESPYs. She had never, they had never had another producer. I mean, she was it from the beginning, from the Jimmy Valvano moment on. And, you know, she was the type. Ugh, it's so sad. She was the type to let us do whatever we wanted. I mean, I've worked now. I've had my own television show. I've been an EP. I've been a head writer. I've been everything. And I just, I looked up to her. She, she, she was a, a tornado, a wild tornado. She was a once in a lifetime kind of producer that, you know, sometimes is a little too much to handle, but like, that's what makes her so great. She loved being there and she loved letting creatives do what they wanted. And I, I've never found a producer and I'm nervous. I never will again, where you go, we want a duck. And she goes, what? And we go, we want to, we want to bring in the Affleck duck. And she goes, well, I'll call. And then a day later we have the duck. It's like, that is so insanely rare. And I'm not even that kind of producer and I will miss her. So I, I don't know how I'm going to do the SBs if ever. I, I mean, I, I don't know why I would do it without her. And I think she was open to every joke we wrote. If it was about the NFL, if it was about the commissioner, she got a commissioner joke through for us by calling him personally and telling him what we were going to say and what it meant. Um, like that's the kind of producer she was. So I was never stopped from doing anything unless we thought it was also just kind of bad taste. And we would tell her she would laugh. And then she's like, you know, you can't say that. We were like, we only told you cause we think it's funny and we know it won't go. So like, that's the most we ever got to, but she, she would even be like, you sure you don't want it? We're like more, it's terrible. No. Uh, so if anything, she was pushing us to do more. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have like a favorite joke or favorite memory outside of what you just shared about your experience with the SP so far? Uh, I mean, Drake is the best. I mean, that was the most fun. It was my first year. There's a lot of great writers in that room. Uh, Bashir and Diallo, who went on to, you know, make a bunch of TV shows and uh, Bennett Weber, who I've worked with a million times now and Morgan Murphy and uh, Jack Burdett. I mean, you know, from 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt. I mean, it was just a great room and a great host. And, you know, I have a bunch of really funny Drake stories because we were two total hip hop heads working together on on the ESPY. So I got a great Macklemore joke in with him that we added and uh, get to write raps with him a bit. And it was just like it was just that was. And also we did a bit with him and Blake and I had already done comedy with Blake Griffin. So it was just the one I felt most comfortable with and, and just felt awesome. That was my favorite one. Yeah, I got to give credit to Drake because when he does like the ESPYs and SNL, like he really leans into it and he seems pretty yeah. open to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And my other favorite was Cena, who has a similar attribute. You know, Cena, whatever he does, he puts his entire mind to. And Cena and I got to write that entire wrestling monologue alone um, that year, which was like, you know, there was an OBJ Coco Beware joke. And me and him sort of got to write this like, you know, sure, wrestling's fake, but isn't all sports fake? And got to get into like the Warriors clearly signing Durant is like the fakest thing in the world. And like we got to do all that stuff together. And it was just me and him in a room, you know, writing. And, and that was that was one of my best experiences too. Yeah. So the Coachella 2030 hall of fame is yes. a concept that I came up with where I want my guests to in nominate 
uh, obscure and their favorite jerseys for induction. So, Jensen, if you'll accept, I'd like to make you a senior member of the Coachella 2030 Hall of Fame Task Force. I would love to take it. You know, tell me your origin story of, you know, sports and jerseys growing up. What was that relationship like for you growing up? Well, I think it's funny because, like, jerseys and sports seem so connected to me, but they came from different spots. Like I was such a big sports guy, mostly baseball as a kid. And then, you know, once I hit about seven or eight, you know, basketball really became my main sport. And I think sport jerseys at that time were like, that's what I wear when I'm in little league or when I'm playing the rec center, you know? Um, but then when hip hop came along and they started wearing the actual jerseys, that's when I was like, Oh, I I'm wearing jerseys. Like, and that, that was in like sixth grade, you know, Um, and what became kind of my goal with jerseys because I had started with, and you got to remember too, I wasn't a Lakers fan growing up. I was a Clippers fan because we didn't have a lot of money. So I didn't have an option to have a home team Jersey. Those were just not possible in the eighties. So there were no Clippers jerseys. And I, I, at that time, I I don't even think you could have got personalized one at that, at that time, which is nuts to think of. Um, because once we get into my favorite jerseys, there's one that I had made that like, I can't even believe I had made. Um, but you couldn't even get a Clippers one. So the goal at that time was my friend and I, my friend, Chris Benz, who's still one of my best friends. Um, we would look for the most obscure stuff we could get. And it was like East Bay. And, you know, we'd look through every catalog and try our hardest to get the weirdest stuff and the coolest jerseys. And it became a bit of a competition between us. Um, and so you would never catch me in kind of other than the Shaq magic jersey because he was my favorite but other than that other than that original rookie year shack i you wouldn't catch me in anything mainstream ever what was the first jersey that you owned do you remember um i think that's a good question first jersey i owned may have been god i got it, it would be by year so i have to think i think i had and this is not a this is not a very sexy answer but I think in fifth or sixth grade, I got a UNLV practice jersey. And I think it's because someone went to Vegas and they were able to buy it at like the student store or something. So I think I had a UNLV jersey as my first. And I and obviously I had liked them just because of the Tarkanian run or whatever. Um, so I think that may have been my first one. No number on the back. Practice jerseys are underrated especially the reversible ones that, I think it was like, reversible yeah it was yeah, gray and red yeah yeah it's it's way more wearable sometimes i feel like than yeah some some of the actual jerseys so you were saying you were going after you know more obscure jerseys yeah. do, is, do you have a particular example of one that you were really proud of of tracking down and owning at that time uh well i remember for me it's funny because that competition i had with chris chris won the competition with this crazy jersey he ended up getting uh, that rookie year because remember this isn't like we're looking on ebay this doesn't exist like we would just do east bay catalogs or footlocker catalogs or whatever we could get our hands on um or we'd have to have relatives in other cities basically to like find these things and i think he was better at it and he's from phoenix which will come into play later um but i remember the one i was most excited about as a kid was that bryant reeves grizzlies jersey i think it was just the weirdest he had you know it just looked odd everything about it was strange you kind of knew he wasn't going to be a hit in the nba um and that was the one i sort of gravitated towards the most but i i think you know the minute bowl jersey was extremely obscure at that time and i had that mirasan jersey i had at that time um you know those those were 
they sound a little more mainstream now, but you have to imagine you're in a school with all Magic Johnson jerseys. Like it, I was showing up with just the, the Calbert Chaney bullets jump off, you know, and and people were weirded out. And I love that Alonzo Morning jersey too. It's not obscure, but um, that year of the teal was really good too. But my friend won in rookie year. He got the Richard Dumas jersey, um, which was like. I can't. I can't even believe that he has it, and I think he still has it. But it it, it was to show, see him show up at school with the Richard Dumas rookie jersey was just like I can't even believe they made this in Phoenix, um, and that was uh, that was like a glorious moment. And I also had a Roy Tarpley jersey, which I remember um, really being into. Uh, so th- those were kind of the hits. And did you keep it to? basketball jerseys only or were you collecting other sports as well at the time uh, no i was collecting other sports at the time so i i still have a couple really good ones like i still have the marshall falk rookie year colts jersey which has the patch on it uh because they were giving away you know that was like an east bay kind of buy where it was that year's jersey and you can get get that one so i have that and then i was getting a lot of baseball jerseys so i had um and this is the the personalized one I can't believe I have, but I remember I got the Griffey, you know, rookie year one, which was great that year. And then I somehow loved the Expos pinstripe Jersey. That was like when I guess we were in middle school or I guess so probably 91, 90, 91. I somehow got a personalized Carlos Perez, Montreal Expos Jersey. And I don't know. And I still have it. It's still in storage. And my wife is like, I don't even want to hear the story behind this. Um, but I don't know how I have it. And I have a Carlos Perez customized, uh, pro Jersey. Um, and I don't, I don't know why or how, but that, that is really my, uh, what the F are you doing kind of thing. Like that, that is the craziest Jersey I've ever purchased or owned. That's amazing. Um, d- when you were going through this phase growing up, was there a grail for you in, in terms of jerseys, one that you really wanted or maybe sought after and just couldn't track down? I mean, the Dumas one is, is at least later in life, it's like I have wanted to replicate that moment with my friend Chris for years. So we have been looking for a new Richard Dumas forever. Um, but I think if I were to try to come up with – I mean, everything is kind of available now, you know? Like you could probably get anything. But back then, um, I think – I mean, baseball guys were always hard to get. So it's like I always wanted a Kevin Mitchell jersey, and I never had it. And he was like my favorite player. So – I wasn't going to spend the 350 bucks that it costs to like get the real one personalized. You know, I, I don't know how the Carlos Perez one came to me cheaper, but I would have loved a Kevin Mitchell jersey just because he was my favorite player. So when the throwback wave came back, like in the early 2000s, you must have been sitting on the best jerseys to kind of pull out of the closet at the time. I mean, kind of. I mean, it's funny because I was I was in the scene like I, you know, I have a song with Fabulous. I, I you know, I, I'm a I'm a hidden player in NBA Live 2003, the first time they put those NBA throwback jerseys in the game. And like I, they, they NBA EA Sports gave me that Denver Nuggets, uh, you know, the, the, the famous skyline rainbow one. They gave me that with NBA Live 03 on the back. Like I was I was in hip hop during that time. But for some reason, I wasn't kind of buying into it. I had. I remember I only wore a Bo Jackson Raiders jersey, which was, you know, now is very easy to find. But in 1999, 2000 wasn't easy to find. Discussions we've had with other guests on the show is that once Mitchell and Ness um, comes out with a throwback of a jersey, that it might not be eligible for Coachella 2030 just because it's hit too mainstream. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I I know that they're kind of I mean, it's crazy because like 
I remember thinking to myself, man, I really want to buy, this was, you know, now six, seven years ago, I really want to buy the Leitner Dream Team jersey. And I really wanted it because as a kid, I think I wanted it and it, you couldn't buy it. It was, he was a college player, so it wasn't possible. Um, and then now it's, it's at Mitchell and S. You could just get it. It's not even a, a problem to buy. So like that bums me out because that, that jersey, if I saw that at Coachella, it's like, okay, bud, I've seen that a million times. <laughs> Do you have any jerseys that, well, you don't own, but you've seen, whether it's at a Clippers game or anywhere else you've been in real life that's made you do a double take and really appreciate oh. it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do it. My, I force my wife to see them all the time, and she has she cares so little <laughs> about it. She's just like, you're so dumb. But, like, I've seen everything out in the streets, especially here in L.A. It's just, like, guys who have ridiculous uh, – I'm trying to think recently I had seen – someone and i was like either that's a jersey that he had made or it's the actual person like there's no one because you know keith kloss keith kloss wears his clippers jersey two games yes he famously yeah. i remember i famously remember there was a photo them. of him right like in yeah. the crowd like he would just yeah. show up in his own jersey in his own Th- jersey thoughts so on that I, do you think that's a flex or not oh no that's a whack that's the craziest <laughs> thing you could do in your life i mean that's like literally the sign of a psychopath uh that's a terrible thing um i did once see at a clippers game a matt fish jersey which was unbelievable i can't even believe that's not burned um and then you know whenever you see Oloa candy at a clippers game it's crazy because that means they bought it then because they had never repurposed it and also that they didn't get rid of it um but yeah when, when i go out and there's someone you know rod strickland or something where i'm like man I, it seems crazy that you still have that those those are still always uh ridiculous to me and that's sean bradley jersey which now is kind of you know overseen but you know, those over the years, if I was in Vegas and some guy's wearing a Sean Bradley jersey, I'm just like, who are you? You know, now I guess it's just cool. But I, I, you're right. I'm looking for the obscure, obscure. So, yeah. And, and I'm thinking like specifically with the Clippers, like in the 90s, there's so many candidates like you will appreciate someone like a like an Eric Piekowski jersey. Oh, yeah. Those exist. I've seen those at Clipper games, too. Yeah. Those are great. I mean, I, I uh, you know, the one jersey that I don't love admitting that I have, and I did it during the rap days, a definite different era and a different mind frame in my head is that I do have the Ray Carruth jersey, which is a terrible jersey to own. Uh, but I had purchased it around the time of him being found in a car trunk. Uh, and now I would never wear it out. Uh, but, you know, I guess that if I, if someone saw me in a Ray Carruth jersey out in the streets, I think I, I think I would deserve a Hall of Fame moment right there. Yeah, that this was another discussion that I had. Like, you know, is it okay to wear an OJ Simpson Buffalo Bills jersey? No, I don't think it is. I mean, I'm I'm sitting on a Ray Ruth one, and I and then when I was doing Jersey Week, which was just a week I would show off all my obscure jerseys on Instagram that I stopped doing because it became a bit of an obsession to my mind to be like, what's next? Um, I uh, I was given someone was like, oh, I have a jersey that you should wear during jersey week and it was aaron hernandez and i was like bro i'm not wearing this this is just stupid uh so no i don't think you should wear it so what to you makes a good coachella 2030 jersey well you know i think it's going to be about a different generation like this clearly isn't going to be you know the things that make us pop or whatever the george Mirasan or whatever probably is going to mean nothing at the 20 you know 20 it's going to look like those uh Ebbets field jerseys now do you know what i mean like or when like or like when mitchell and s released like the the negro league jerseys like they look just like fashion pieces like you wouldn't even know who that person is you know so you would have to be able to figure out something that in 15 years still has the kitsch ability um 
And, you know, like the, the, the famous rock and jock jerseys, which I was collecting before they kind of became a Coachella staple. But, you know, those lose all kitsch as well. So you, you have to figure out what will work from an ironic standpoint, but yet also be kind of cool for the, you know, for the cool kids. Yeah. So so let's get to your four nominees. So I immediately I immediately thought to myself. What makes the most sense movie-wise? Because Coachella jerseys and myself, I love movie jerseys. I have blue chips. I have a lot of ones that I actually hold near and dear to my heart. And I think the movie, uh, you immediately don't think of it now because, oh, that's kind of like a played out movie and it was kind of dumb or whatever. Um, uh, Uncle Drew, it's called. Uncle Drew, the Kyrie movie, Uncle, right? Yeah, Kyrie yeah. movie, yeah. <laughs> I think that a Kyrie Uncle Drew jersey um, or, you know, you could wear the Shaq one or, you know, you could wear other, other people's jerseys, but getting the actual uncle drew Jersey and wearing it to that Coachella, I think would be pretty hot. No, I, I like that one. What's yeah. next on your list? Um, I have for football, I think it would be pretty hardcore to wear a Tim Tebow Jersey, um, <laughs> to, to that year because I just people will still remember and it comes up to the next one too but people will still remember the story you know what I mean like they'll go oh the religious dude didn't blow up blah 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 blah. I think people will still like that um so I would go forward um saying saying you would wear that so you're gonna have to pick are we going with Tim Tebow Broncos Jets Patriots um I think you have to go with Broncos. I think it's just the, the look and the name and everything you're used to it against that orange. So I would I would say Tim Tebow Broncos. But then for extra credit, possibly the Mets jersey, which which is almost too much, but I would allow it. I like that one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, number 3. Okay, my number 3 is anything from the postponed XFL year. So like I, I don't know any of the players or anything. I don't know anyone who played. I know one of them went to the NFL. Don't even care. Anything that show anything from this year that only got through a couple of weeks. If you wore anything from that, people will remember it as the quarantine XFL year, and I think you'd be fine. What about the old? Well, I guess the most popular one back in the he original XFL, yeah, is yeah. the He Hate Me, which I've seen online. There's I have replicas it. I have online. It. Yeah, I have it. Yeah, I have that one. I also almost made a jacket out of it a couple of years ago because there was this guy um, who was a friend who was making really cool kind of military jackets out of jerseys. Jay Z wore, uh, wore one once, and I reached out to him and was like, "Do you think you can make He Hate Me?" He mocked it up, and then he, we never made it, which is a bummer. I think a He Hate Me still might hit in 2030. Oh, it's a it's a great jersey. It's still a good jersey. Yeah, and, and yeah. your final nominee? Uh, my final nominee is, listen, here's what I think. And I think that this hits only then. It is so whack right now. It's so <laughs> whack. It's, you cannot wear it right now. But in 20 years or whatever, 15 years, you can 100% wear an OVO Raptors jersey, one Drake on the back. <laughs> but you one. can't you I can't do one. it you can't do it now because now it is the worst jersey that's ever been possibly created but i think when it's remember drake will be in his 50s okay drake will be old drake will be basically he will look like his dad he will look he will have that broom mustache the whole thing so you have to understand it's a different Drake. You're looking back on a time. There will be 700 different pop stars, 700 different rap stars by that point. But you will remember the time a guy basically committed himself to the team, designed the jerseys, did all those things. And I think he'll become a bit of a laughing meme for it. And so you're wearing an OVO Raptors jersey, number one Drake on the back. 
Yeah, so that one, it's hilarious that you mentioned that because, mm -hmm. well, I'm in Toronto and yeah. literally last night I was on the Raptors team shop website because mm -hmm. people made a huge deal out of these OVO Raptors practice jerseys okay. that were released and they're available to purchase. There's a blank practice jersey, which you can custom, which you can purchase right now for sale. Yeah. Um, I will give one constructive criticism is that how about going with the six because he's the six god? Oh, that is true. But I think doesn't he wear the one? I think I he like, does have a custom jersey that I feel like his is a one custom and that is so much funnier to me <laughs> because it means it means that he's the number one fan. And it just it, it's like so cute to me that he's just like, Yeah, I'm number one and people will be like, Yeah, six makes more sense and he's like, Nah. He just is like, No, it's not. Like he fights that he's the number one fan. So I think it's just I, I'm more obsessed because you know, I went to Toronto for um, the all-star game, I, they, uh, the Toronto film festival flew me out there to do one of my very strange live reads, um, that I do for space jam. And we had Hannibal Burris in it and we had a bunch of great people. And, uh, when I went to the, they didn't give me game tickets, but they gave me uh, three point or no, no rookie night, not, you know, rookie versus whatever they had at that time. And so I went to that game and I went into the, the store and they had so much good OVO stuff so much good I mean really handfuls of really good merch so I picked up um, a hat that said like you know October's very own Raptors and I think I had picked up a shirt or something and, and maybe something you know I, I was just like this is great merch and then I think every day since then it's kind of just gotten sadder you know? <laughs> like I think it's just gotten more bummed out that it's like yeah that was really cool when it was like a one time thing not when you like bought a championship ring you know like that's way less cool. I think this taps into your like get up on this type vibe too, in terms of you know you have to know that what's whack now is like what's going to age well over time. Yeah. That's whack now, and I think the OVO Raptors collaboration is probably the perfect example. Like people are going to see that in twenty thirty and be like, man, I wish I really stocked up on that. Oh yeah, that is a hundred percent going to happen. I mean, it's like you know, it was like ten years ago when Space Jam hit again. You know, it was like now it's not cool to have it, but ten years ago with the Taz jersey or whatever it is, all those things were really cool and funny. And oh, that I love that movie. Like it had a really good nostalgia run, and now it's you know a little played. But you will have that with Uncle Drew. You will have that with Drake. You will have that. I mean, listen, we didn't even bring up Johnny Manziel. Manziel's got some of that vibe in him. You know, it, you got to look for the story that's funny in 10 to 15 years. And so that, that's what I've always been kind of good at picking out. Although I'm sitting on a Carlos Perez Montreal Expos jersey. So who knows if I'm even somewhat correct. Uh, but but yeah, that, that you got you to gotta look for the irony. For a b brief period of time growing up, I wanted to collect every single baseball player that was on the Mitchell Report that was listed oh, for wow. steroids. That that would have been yeah. like awesome. I think I started collecting yeah. some of the some of the starting lineup or McFarlane action figures, and then I just gave up because it was too expensive. Yeah, that can't be cheap. But but uh, and, and also because they just like add people you know monthly to that back <laughs> in the day. It was like I have to buy a oh god why am I buying a Ken Caminetti jersey? You're just like stuck with the most random people. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's funny because looking back. Um, when I look at vintage stuff online, like every single Mark McGuire t-shirt just cracks me up. Oh yeah. They're the best. <laughs> all the ones that are like greatest home run hitter of all time. And like pictures of him and Sosa, like arm wrestling. It's like, it's all that stuff. aged really funny. And that, that could be one of those things too. Like, Oh yeah. You know, I don't think no kids know now, but you know, hopefully someone else gets caught cheating and then, uh, you know, always great if JLo buys the Mets. Cause then you got a JLo Mets Jersey and it's going to be thrilling. 
Yeah, we gotta make sure we put number one for that too. Oh yeah, number one, number one fan. So before you go, tell tell the listeners about uh, the No Sports podcast that you've started. Yeah, it's called the No Sports Report, and it is uh, done between uh, my a company called Treefort and iHeartRadio, and uh, it's very exciting. Once I basically got off the morning show, this was one of the first offers I got, and it was the one that spoke to me the most, which is talking to different athletes and uh, figuring out what they're doing during quarantine, what they imagine the world's going to be like when we get out. And sometimes we get you know deep about it, and sometimes we're really superficial. It could be either one. We talked to Gavin Lux from the Dodgers about how he's wearing Crocs now, and I'm embarrassed by it. Uh, but then we also talked to like Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard about obviously being Sugar Ray Leonard, but on top of that, what, you know, he's a, a open member of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it's like to have meetings right now online virtually. Um, you know, so we, we, we really get into it and we have Bismack Biombo this week and um, we've had on, you know, some great baseball players, great basketball guys. We talked to Jay Williams about his weird NBA on a cruise ship idea, which is still insane. Um, so like that's kind of, you know, that that's the idea. And I, it goes to daily later in the month. Um, so I'm going to be talking to a ton of athletes every day. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great podcast and everyone should definitely check it out. And, you know, I'd be remiss before I let you go to not ask you for a get up on this recommendation while everyone is in quarantine, whether it's another podcast, an artist, or or maybe a new hobby that you've picked up. Uh, What would you like to recommend to the listeners? Uh, well, I have a hundred of them. I mean, listen, I feel like I've been picking up a lot of stuff. The things that are so obvious to me is like 100% everyone should be playing Animal Crossing on the Switch. That is not obscure. That is purely mainstream. But the fact that not everyone is doing it is crazy to me. Um, You know, musically, uh, Looney, L-O-O-N-Y, has a little bit of a Drake connection in the producers, but she's an R&B singer that really makes me feel a little bit like when you first heard SZA, you know? Um, the EP is called Joyride, and it's really, really good. It's it's like kind of shocking. I think the Asher Roth album, Flowers on the Weekend, was surprisingly really good, too. No one would give that any credit, which is sad, um, but it's really good. And, uh, you know, I still ride for a kid named Alec Benjamin. He's a pop singer here in L.A. Uh, he had some records come out during the break. But, you know, there's the obvious stuff. Dua Lipa had a great pop record. Conway, obviously, is putting out great stuff. And the Baby's record's better. And, and West Side Gun, the Pray for Paris stuff. I mean, you know, there's all stuff people know. But as far as people that people don't know, L-O-O-N-Y is her name, Looney. And uh, the Asher Roth record, why would anyone download that? They should have, though, because it's good. And um, HBO has a new show called Run that no one knows exists. Um, and it, it involves Phoebe Waller, you know, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridges and she is, uh, hilarious, you know, from Fleabag, she can do no wrong, but she has a new show that somehow no one is paying attention to about two people who went to high school together and were dating back then and promised each other that in 20, 30 years or whatever, if one of them texts run and the other one texts back run, they have to meet at Grand Central Station and just go on a trip together. Um, and that's the show. And it's a comedy thriller. It turns into like a thriller. It's crazy. You, It's great. Awesome. Jensen, yep. man, th- thanks for taking the time. And I will catch you at Coachella 2030. You can look for me in my OVO Drake number one jersey. That's awesome. I will be the one wearing the uh, – I'm still going to be wearing the Ray Cruz jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no one will get it. But I'll just be like, "You, I swear, you'll love it. Do you guys have weed? Like I'll just be the worst narc, worst kind of like wannabe cool kid ever. Uh, But that'll be me. Awesome, man. Listen, take care and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, man.